Welcome to the weekly podcast at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church. My name is Doc Hollingsworth. I'm senior pastor of this great congregation, and we're delighted that you've joined us. Our prayer for you is that as you listen to this message, you might feel closer to God and closer to God's hope for you. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Acts 16, verses 9 through 15. You can find it on page 900, the Bible uh, on the pew rack in front of you. Hear these words from Acts 16. During the night, Paul had a vision. There stood a man of Macedonia pleading with him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When we had seen the vision, we immediately tried to cross over to Macedonia being convinced that God had called us to proclaim the good news to them. We set sail from Troas and took straight course to Samothrace. The following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city for some days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gates by the river where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the woman who had to the women who had gathered there. A certain woman named Lydia, a worshiper of God, was listening to us. She was from the city of Thyatira and a dealer in purple cloth. The Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul. When she and her household were baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my home. And she prevailed upon us. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I know what some of you are thinking this morning. You're thinking, I wonder how I would have reeled off all of that toilet paper or you're wishing that Jim had pulled out all the dolls so you could see just how small they all were. And I don't have toilet paper or dolls for you, but we are going to talk about prayer for just a few minutes this morning. When Paul gets to Philippi, which is an important city, an important regional city in Macedonia, we are told that he stayed where he was there for a few days. And then when it came to the Sabbath, he began looking for a supposed place of prayer. One commentary writer says there was no synagogue in Philippi. And that was probably due to there not being enough Jewish males in that community, there needed to be at least 10 Jewish males in the community. The, the community would have been too small for there to be a synagogue, right? We're actually not told of any observant men in this passage other than Paul, right? Um, so what we do hear about is a group of women who are meeting down by the river to pray. That is the supposed place of prayer. And it begs the question for us this morning, how do we define a supposed place of prayer? Is it the location? Is it the building? There was no 
such defined place for Paul and whoever was traveling with him to gather in with the faithful there in Philippi. Remember, he's moving into continental Europe at this point. The Gentile mission is expanding. So instead, he goes to gather where there are people who are meeting together in prayer. When the Sabbath comes, Paul goes outside of the gate looking for a supposed place of prayer, and he finds it with this group of women down by the river. Have you ever had to do that? Have you ever had to go out beyond the boundaries of the norm to find whatever you need or whatever you were looking for? Have you ever had to do that, to go out beyond the gate like Paul did? You know, some people have to go outside of the normal boundaries of their family in order to find safety and love. Some people have to go outside of their community to find acceptance. According to a recent Pew survey, for the first time since this organization has been polling, a majority of Americans now look outside of religious institutions called churches for a spiritual experience if they are looking for it at all, right? Paul goes outside of the gate of the city looking for a supposed place of prayer, a place that was defined as such not by any charter that held this group of people together and not by some building that housed them under roof. They were a place of prayer because of the actions of their daily living. They were a group of women who were at prayer, and among them is Lydia, who is spiritually alert. So Paul's been led to this place of prayer where these women are gathered and Paul shares with them and we're told that they all heard and because Lydia is spiritually open and alert, she responded and all of her household were baptized. It's one of the things that can happen when we are spiritually engaged with one another and with God, most importantly. We can hear We can be impacted and we can respond and our lives and the lives of those around us can be transformed. And out of that experience that Lydia has, she invites Paul to come and stay with her at her home. This prayerful encounter that Lydia and Paul and those gathered there together share, it leads to a mutually nourishing relationship with one another. And I want to pause on that for just a moment because I think that's really important. That what happens between Paul and Lydia in this exchange of the gospel, it's mutually nourishing. It leads to mutual nourishment for both of them. I think part of the reason that people aren't as engaged with the institutional church or why many of us have been observing some shifts in recent years and decades in the lives of our congregations is because for a lot of people, it doesn't feel like it's essential for their daily living, right? At least that's what we're observing, 
It isn't nourishing or meaningful, or if it was, why wouldn't they participate in it, right? That's the assumption that we're making. Because I know if you're like me, there's not a one of us who doesn't make choices every single day about what to do with our time and our energy and our resources every single day. And every single day, we make a whole host of choices that prioritize our day and our life and our activities and everything that's important for us. And the things that we see as being most important, they get first shot. They're right up there, number one with a bullet, right? We circle it, we star it, we put it out front, and we do those things first. Because it's important, because it's meaningful, because it nourishes us, right? When I was growing up, like many of you, there was a kind of social pressure that we all felt to be a part of church in our communities. And maybe that was less so in a large city like Atlanta, but in my small town on Sunday mornings, if you weren't going to church, you didn't step outside your house till after 12, right? Because then there was plausible deniability at that point. You could have been just at another church, maybe at a homecoming or something else. You just weren't at your normal place. But go to the grocery store at 10 o'clock in the morning, you didn't do that, right? There's a lot of lamentation and a lot of nostalgia from folks who are still connected with the institutional church who long for that day of old when sanctuaries were spilling out and congregations were filled up because, well, I don't know what it might mean, right? But if we have to go back to those days where we're heaping guilt and shame upon one another in order to fill up sanctuaries where there's that kind of social pressure about what you better do, I'll tell you as a minister, I don't want any part of that. I'm just not interested in going about it that way. And as someone who grew up in it, it obviously didn't make things stick for a lot of people, right? Lydia heard the good news and she and her household were all baptized in response to the good news, but it doesn't stop there with Lydia and her household. She goes further upon experiencing this good news for her and her household's life. She goes further and she invites Paul to come and stay with her and her household. Out of that time together, a relationship is being built, right? Out of that time together, she and her household, they have opportunity to become discipled. The question we are, that our congregations need to be asking these days isn't how do we make people want to be in church like we are, The question we need to be asking ourselves is how do we become the kinds of churches that people want to be a part of? It's a completely different kind of question. How do we become the kind of community of faith that people want to build relationships with? How do we become the kind of community of faith that's nourishing and that grows disciples who want to deepen in their faith? That happens through the work 
of prayer. That's the work of spiritual growth. That's how that kind of transformation happens. I remember hearing John Claypool tell us a story when I was a student of his at McAfee School of Theology. He was remembering his early years in ministry. It was the early 60s, and he was on staff at First Baptist Church in Decatur just down the road. And he felt really passionate about being a part of the civil rights movement and how it was affecting his community here in greater Atlanta. And he would, along with many other ministers in the community, he would go to these gatherings in the city where the faith leaders were coming together to talk about this movement that was growing. And they were trying to understand how to better be a part of that movement. And after one particularly contentious meeting where nothing seemed to get accomplished... And there was a lot of animosity between all the ministers who were gathered there, and there wasn't a lot of trust. He remembers having a conversation with the rabbi whose synagogue was hosting the meeting that day. As they were walking out, he said to his friend, the rabbi, this is just one of those days where everything seems hopeless. The rabbi said, John, if you, if you have a few minutes, I'd love to have a conversation with you. So John said, sure. They go to the rabbi's office there in the synagogue, and the rabbi sits down and he pulls out his pipe out of the drawer back when you could smoke in your church office, and he packs his pipe and he lights it and he sits back in his chair, and John said he kind of disappeared in a cloud of smoke, and he imagined Moses up on the top of Mount Sinai. He said, after a few minutes, the rabbi kind of leaned forward and he said, John, I need to tell you that as a Jew, there is only one unforgivable sin, and that is the sin of despair. To say that any situation is hopeless, to say that there's nothing redemptive that can possibly be done, it's simply not a position that we consider tenable. He said, humanly speaking, despair is presumptuous. It's saying something about reality that we finite human beings have no right to say because we don't know everything. We don't know enough to embrace despair. We don't know enough to give up hope. He said, theologically speaking, despair is downright heretical. Because it's saying something definitive about the mystery that stands behind all reality that we have no business saying. If we believe that this God that we worship can make the things that are out of the things that are not. If we believe that this God we worship can even make dead things come alive again then who are we to say that there is any situation that is out of reach of that kind of power and mercy? And the language that taps into that kind of power and mercy and hope is the language of prayer. I recently read James Clear's book, Atomic Habits. Some of you may have read it. And in it, he says, we don't rise to the level of our aspirations. We fall to the level 
of our systems. We don't rise to the level of our aspirations. We fall to the level of our systems. We could have all kinds of aspirational goals in our lives. Anything that we can imagine that we can muster up and put on placards and post-its all around our life. We could come up with all of these aspirational goals about our spiritual life and about what we hope that our congregation or that our community can do in this world But if we don't have any practices in place, or if we don't have any groups of practices in place that will help us achieve those goals, we will never get there, right? And foundational to those practices for people of faith and for congregations is the work of prayer. Without prayer... The church won't go anywhere. As we talked with Claypool through the remainder of that class, what we got focused on and what most of us liked in that conversation was thinking about some grandiose, some big idea, the big doll, right? This massive idea and how we could be swept up and be a part of it. We wanted to make these big sweeping changes in the world. We wanted to be able to catalyze and leverage huge transformation that was simply breathtaking. To preach the sermon that was going to solve everything. But the answer that John shared with us that day, it wasn't flashy like that. It wasn't big like that. It was small and singular. To do something really big like bring about change in our community or in our congregations or in our organizations or in our own lives, we have to get really small, right? We have to think about what is most essential, and that's prayer. Because we don't run a marathon in one stride. We don't eat an elephant in one bite, If you ask somebody in the 12-step recovery world, how do you accomplish recovery for all of your life? They will tell you, I focus on today, on this moment today. Our growth starts with cultivating a powerful prayer rhythm in our own life. And I know we're at the end of our time this morning, so I want to end with this. I think Paul's experience with this small, prayerful community in Philippi changed his life. I think it changed his life and transformed how he understand the movement of God out ahead of him, growing the church in the world. I think it made a profound impact on him and helped him understand better how to live a more prayerful life. Because when you think about his letter to that very community, the church at Philippi, he says there at the very beginning, I thank my God every time I remember you, constantly praying with joy in every one of my prayers for all of you because of your sharing in the gospel from the very first day until now. And I'm confident of this, 
that the one who began a good work in you will be faithful to bring it to completion by the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was so for that community in Philippi because they were a praying people. And it will be so for us too because we commit to give our time and our attention and our energy to that most essential part of our faith. May it be so for all of us this day. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponstelian Baptist Church.